Hey, welcome to Cannon Fodder, an all-things Arsenal podcast. I'm Tim. I'm Fred. On this pod, we're going to be talking about some real shitey McShite shite sandwiches of shite that all happen to be shaped into the shite of Arsenal shite players. I think this is rock bottom, Tim. I think we've gotten there. Uh, and it's not fun, let me tell you. It's not I don't fun. Think, I, I'm, I do not think we've hit rock bottom. Really? Where do you? I, how? I don't. I guess if we lose to Norwich, I mean, we could not win a game this season and not score a goal. That that's possible. That's what's happened so far. <laughs> well, here, here's the reality: a lot of people, when Emery was in charge, thought it can't get worse than this, and then, in some ways, it did. Last season happened. Yeah, the first half of last season happened, and it was it, worse. It was worse. So, and now the it. it it's okay. worse than that. It's worse than that somehow. Okay, let's back it up. Let's back yeah, it up. Yeah. Let's back it up. Let's talk about the game. So Man City beat Arsenal 5-0. Um, a 10-man Arsenal. And honestly, we I think we're lucky to get away with a 5-0. Um, Same. Leno had some good saves. Yeah, he had, some good, he had a couple of really good saves. Um, so... I don't know how to start talking about this game because it was really, it was just a really tough game to watch. It was terrible. Yeah. You know, let's, I mean, I think probably the best place to start, which was the most puzzling for every Arsenal fan. Um, and y- y- both you and me don't really get too crazy about the team lineup when it gets sent out. We try not to get overhyped about it. But when they put the lineup out for that game, I think both of us were like, what the yeah. hell is this? So it was another it one was of an, those, It was insanity. Yeah, it was another one of those 4.30 a.m. kickoffs for me. So I set my yeah. alarm for 4.28. So I didn't have any of the, the pre-match lineup meltdown type situation that most Arsenal fans, specifically on Twitter, but most Arsenal fans get to have because I wasn't conscious for it. So I just turned on the game and started looking around and being like, oh, wait, hold on. That's Cedric. Oh, hold on. That's Kolasinac. Yeah. Oh, hold on. Where's Sambi? He's had a good a good opening to the season, even if the results have been shit. What, what's going on? I was blown away that Kolasinac started. You can say yeah. what you will about Cedric and the deal. It's all a crock of shit, and he's not a good player, and we shouldn't have signed him. And I think we'll get into a little bit later kind of probably why we signed him and why we're stuck with him at this point. But Kolasinac is a player who we have tried to just take just anyone come and take him any club across the continent, across the world. Just please take this guy. We don't want him anymore. Hasn't worked out. He's on massive wages. Just like, please we'll we'll buy out the rest of his contract. We'll pay part of his wages. Can we please get rid of him? And he started against man city in place of, you would say probably Pablo Marie, who we have obviously of course criticized on this podcast because he's had a really shit opening to the season as well. But He's better than Kalasinach. He's better suited for that left-sided center back yeah. role in a back three than Kalasinach, even if he's had a rocky start. I just, I really don't understand Arteta's thinking with this lineup. Um, I can't even remember the rest of it because that that one decision to play Kalasinach over Pablo Mari in this case was just wild to me. So, and you, you pile on top of that, um, the fact that Cedric started at right wing back when we've got Maitland Niles, yeah. who so much has unfolded about him in the last 24 hours, which we'll get on to later. Even Bellerin, who's on his way out, is officially gone now. Like all these players pre-match, like we had available to us and we didn't use them. 
and we use Cedric instead. And I think you sent me, I'd seen it, but you sent me the stats that Cedric had from the game, breaking yeah. down any sort of offensive <laughs> yeah. or defensive, like sort of contribution he could have made to this game. And next to every single measurable statistical column in this little stat sheet was a zero. Yeah. Besides his pass completion yeah. percentage, which was 46%. Those kind of stats, it's like they matter when a player or a team isn't being productive, you know? Because yeah. somebody like Alba sometimes has a really low pass completed percentage. Like Alexis score. Sanchez consistently had low pass completion percentages, but it's because he was always trying risky shit. Yeah, and he was scoring goals and he was making yeah. a huge impact on the team yeah yeah so the stats are are his, his game against city zero tackles zero successful dribbles zero ground duels one zero aerial duels one That's zero crazy. key passes zero crosses zero accurate long balls one error leading to a goal and 44 percent what was he doing completion what was he doing well exactly if you're gonna play wing back you know you have no crosses you have your your only not your only job but your primary job in a back three which you know of course everyone for the chelsea game was calling out we said it on the last podcast wanting arteta to switch the system to a back three and arguably not this this kind of back three not this kind of back three (laughs) but just a back three right because it'll you get that extra defender in there and you potentially when you have possession you know you give your fullback or your wing backs in this case License to roam forward, and so it's it's potentially like yeah, you add a defender, but at times you kind of add two attackers. It just depends on in and out of possession how the game's going. The fact that a wingback has zero crosses in a game is absurd. Like that is ridiculous. I've never. I, I this is the first game. Just to put a little bit of context into my experience of it and how I feel now and how I felt at the time. This is the first Arsenal game in my Arsenal supporting life, which is not that old. It's only since about two thousand thirteen or whenever we used to live together and you told me about him. Um, this is the first time I have turned off a game before halftime and not watched the rest of it. Even if I've like flirted with the idea of turning a game off because it's like, okay, we're not going to get anything out of this. This is annoying. I'll at least still watch just to try and see maybe some bright signs or some hope or whatever. And I honestly, I just get really excited anytime I see someone with an Arsenal jersey running around on a pitch and I just want to watch them. But Apart from the fact that it was five in the morning when I made this decision, I turned this shit off and and went back to sleep. And it was the best decision I could have made. You know what I mean? Like, it was that kind of a game. Lineup aside, it was so ridiculously soft. This is a theme running throughout these first three games of this season. Like, we started, I think the first five minutes weren't that bad. You know, we kind of progressed the ball well a couple times. Odegaard started. He's a fancy new signing who I'm sure we'll talk about towards the end of the podcast, just what impact he could have long term. But Odegaard started. Smith Rowe was out there. Teeny was out there running around. We actually had a couple decent little moves. No end product, no real threat, but just like, okay, we, we might have a little shot here. We might be able to at least give him a game. And then we gave up two of the most pathetic goals I have ever seen in my life. They were bad. Like bad. And I'm not going to be able to speak to the other three goals in the game because, like I said, I turned it off and I went back to sleep. But those first two goals, Chambers, back post, header, that is defending 101. How you get beat there, how you don't get up and up, how you don't read that cross, read that ball yeah. is insane. That's, that's, that's bad. Yeah, it's, it's really, pathetic. It's super soft. Yeah. 
and the second goal was just uh, just bad positioning and poor reaction from everyone, just like not being alive to the danger, not being alert to the danger. And Man City must have been just like, oh shit. Well, we didn't have to try that hard, and we got two goals in the first fifteen yeah, minutes. Okay. It, yeah, it's bad. It's so bad. It's so bad. Yeah. And two, I feel like, you know, it's almost not worth analyzing all of the goals. I agree. Um, partially just because I feel like when Xhaka gets sent off after you know before the third goal, it kind of yeah. just it, it's not that it turns it into something that's like not worth it. Like you saw at the Chelsea Liverpool game, you know, Chelsea went down ten men and they fought. And played really, really, really hard, you know, to get yeah, some to get a to point get something yeah. out of that to get that get something out of that game, you know. So it's not like impossible, you know, but there's just this sense of defeat in the Arsenal team that, you know, th- you know, it's like you just knew we were done, you know, we we're already getting yeah. manhandled. But what's frustrating to me, really, about all of those goals, but specifically the first two is it's just a complete lack of Arsenal doing the basics. Yep. We're not pressing, okay? This team just does not, despite what Arteta has said or what it seems like we want to do sometimes, we do not press. Yeah. We don't. We just don't. I don't know what that is. We just don't do it anymore. We don't do but, it well. Even when we try to, it's very disjointed. It's one or two players max pressing when you watch Liverpool press and it's just like the whole team moving. It's like an accordion. I can't remember. There's some famous uh, like football. Um, I don't know what the word is I'm looking for. Football like philosopher, basically. Like a guy who's an expert with, with football tactics who describes football teams, at least the way they should be, as an accordion kind of just like stretching and then decompressing and stretching out and going back in. And then like kind of moving as this kind of cohesive unit. And you see that when you look at a press from, from Klopp his teams in the past and also Liverpool. And as a quick caveat to that, you might say, oh, well, he's got a way better squad than we do. Yeah, but when Klopp entered that job in January of whatever it was, 2016, 2017, whatever, uh, he did not have a good squad. He did not have good players. He had freaking, he had a Pokemon starting in defense for him. What's the name? Skirtle? Squirtle? (laughs) 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 Damn, dude. He didn't have a good squad, but they they pressed well. All, all that to say is Arteta doesn't seem to be able to coach this team into a cohesive, well-run press. And that's a huge worrying sign. He said that's something yeah. he wants his team to do, and we don't seem to know how to do it. Yeah, man. And and not even just that. You know, just look at our, our defensive positioning. Look at just, you know, even Burnt Leno. You know, like the way it seemed like when Arteta first came in, we're trying to play out of the back. You know, yeah. we're trying to be risky. And... <sighs> He kicks so it long so often. Just so much. It's like you just look at it and you're like, he's not doing it. He knows what to yeah. do, but he's obviously not being instructed to do it. So it's just a huge question mark over Arteta, his tactics, his fucking team selection. Like, I feel like, like you said, this game isn't really worth analyzing to an extent. I think it, it's times better spent talking about, okay, what's going on here? What is Arteta trying to do? You know, um, because yeah, it doesn't quite make sense. Yeah, it's difficult to analyze all of it, partially because... I mean, I think you can look at, um, you know, the first half of last season, right? Yeah. You can look at um, the way we bombed out of the Europa League last year. You can look at, you know, these three games, even our preseason to a certain extent. Yeah. You know, and 
you can look at all these issues, you can look at all these problems, and you can say, like, it's not good enough, because it isn't, you know? It, yeah. it objectively is not good enough. You know, you can look at the stats if you want to be a stat guy, or you can just look at what your eyes are telling you. You can see it's not good enough. The yeah. players that we have just aren't doing it. And you can look at that and say, okay, well, that's a recruitment problem. You know, which I don't think it completely is, because at yeah. some points during the season, they really did do it. You know, the majority yeah. of this team was a team that won FA Cup two seasons ago, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but Against it is Man City in the semifinal, <clears throat> by the way. Yeah. yeah, you know, and beat Chelsea in the final. But it's interesting to me when you look at when Arteta first came in, right? You know, all the non-negotiables, all the bullshit he was talking, right? And you see this uptick in our team playing better, you know, which a lot of people, oh, it's a new manager bounce. But, you know, we did look more solid. Even, mm-hmm. the, you know, the whole, since from December last year on to the end, you know, we had a great defensive record, you know? Yeah. And I'm just thinking and wondering, you know, what changed over the summer? What changed? Yeah. What happened? You know, is why do we look is, so soft? Is, is Arteta just overestimating how, like, what the players took out of that season? Is he overestimating their quality? Is he just trying to, you know, because for me, and I think a lot of player or a lot of Arsenal fans would say this is it's like, you know, we have all these young players in the team and that's incredible. You know, we're going down this kind of youth development project. A lot of fans, are going to have patience for that yeah. because they understand that that's not something that is going to yield results now, you know, like we've been through that with Arsene Wenger, you know, we know it's not going to always yield results right now. I mean, he got us in the top four, but he was playing in a different league, I think, you know, 10 years ago, but you know, you can't have all these young players in this team. And then have all these older veterans that just aren't doing the job. And then also have your team look like it's not getting the ideas. Like it's not the coaching ideas aren't coming across. You know, because even it's like when Man City scored that first goal, you know, we start sitting off. When they scored the second goal, that's when you get that insane clip. There's there's like a 10-second portion, 15-second portion where – you know, Ederson gets the ball and he's outside of the 18 yard box and he's just sitting there with his foot on the ball and Alba's up there. Saka's, you know, it's like people are up there, but they will not, they're 10 yards away. They won't rush him. They won't press him. They won't do anything. He just stands there for 10, 12 seconds. Just, yeah, it's insanity. Like, is that instruction or is that the play? No, there's no possible way. There's no possible way. There's no possible way. That are that Arteta's just like yeah, you just let them just let them hang out, you know. Yeah. And so to me, there it's really worrying, and I don't know, I don't, you know, I don't know what's going on in the dressing room or on the training ground. Something's not coming across, and it's not working out right. And there's a dilemma, you know. It's only three games in the season, right? So yeah. a lot of people, I think, if Arteta would have got sacked after the fucking Man City game a lot of people wouldn't have cared. I think yeah. a lot of people would have been like, okay, great. We've been terrible. Yeah. You know, I don't a lot think of people, people would have understood them, that decision. Yeah. Yeah. You know, but I, I am personally getting to the point where I'm like, it's not working out. Okay. If you've been here for, you know, in a couple months, it'll be two years, you know, in 
Yeah. Almost, you know? Almost, yeah. And you're just kind of like... <sighs> yeah. It's Two and, it and a half seasons. Look it's like better. 18 months in the job. Yeah. And it the doesn't fact look that better. It, it, it looks worse. You know, we've, we've mentioned it a billion times on this podcast. We, last season, we had an awful start to the season. Awful first half of the season. Second half of the season, you look at underlying metrics, goals scored, goals against. We had the third best defensive record over the course of the whole season in the league. And it's like, okay, things are looking better. If we can start next season on this same foot, we'll be good. And we haven't. We've regressed. And I do understand people mentioning the caveats of the players that we are missing. I do understand that. That makes total sense. I do understand how much of a curveball it is going into that Brentford game. And all of a sudden, your two star forwards who maybe would have been in line to both start that game, at least one of them would have, and all of a sudden they're not available. That's huge. That's massive. But it does not excuse the way in which we have lost these opening three games. And that's my main takeaway from it. That's why... I think most fans are starting to question, has Arteta lost the dressing room? Old cliched phrase, but like, what the fuck is going on? Because it's almost hard to explain it any other way, if that makes sense. I don't want to believe that. I want to believe that Arteta can, you know, obviously get out of this, or at least that the club will act a little bit quicker than they have done with the past two managers. Let Emery sit a bit too long. Let Wenger sit a bit too long. I'd hope that the club would act a bit quicker in this case if things don't get any better to, you know, hopefully, honestly, right now, they should be looking at a replacement. Behind the scenes, they should be sounding out possibilities and should be yeah. looking at like, hey, yeah, who could come in? Let's, okay, we're going to see all the noise coming out on Twitter and wherever else, all the in-the-know journalists are coming through and saying that the club is not happy with the way that the season has started. But yeah, I would, sure, I would sure hope so. Yeah, <laughs> obviously. But it's also come out that they want, they see Arteta as a long term project. You look at the six signings, which we'll get to all of those, or at least the one, the two we haven't covered. We'll get to those later. But six signings, 150 million ish euros spent, Arsenal's biggest summer transfer window of all time. And it's this guy's players. It's Arteta's players. It's the players that he wants, that he is pushing for. And it's like, well, how much time are they going to give him? They see this as a long-term project. They're investing in youth. And the main upside to investing in youth, obviously, is that if Arteta doesn't work out, at least the new manager, whoever that might be that comes in, has a young, talented squad to work with, uh, to to mold into his image or whatever. But I, I really don't see... I I don't understand what's happened in, like you said earlier, the non-negotiables that Arteta came in. You called yeah. them bullshit because it's like, okay, yeah, now they actually kind of do seem like bullshit. At first, I was like, oh, hell yeah. We've got a manager, a smart young tactician who is going to come in and he's going to knock some heads around until this team actually plays football the way it should. And we saw that. It, even if we didn't see the talent even if we didn't see the end product at times and the results at times, we saw effort as soon as Arteta came in. And even after that, the players were still playing for him, even if results weren't going well, even if we were in a low patch first half of last season, the players are still yeah. trying. And that's not something we could say under Emery. And that's not something we could say under the latter half of the Wenger era. Now it's like, okay, well, what's what's happened? Like the players don't seem to be putting up too much effort. You know, uh, it's just... I think it's anyone's guess at this point. Yeah, I mean, I think it's so many different factors because I feel like look at the team. You know, look at the kind of stuff that's happened with the team since Arteta came in, right? Yeah. You got 
you got the whole Ozil situation, okay? And the club basically pays him to leave. That kind of stuff just doesn't help any sort of team spirit. You know what I mean? It just doesn't. Yeah. Like, that's not helpful. You get the same thing happening with Cola, right? With Cola Cinec. Doesn't help the team spirit, you know? You have... (laughs) You have... Arteta saying crazy shit like Cedric is our best player in the final third. Our best right. But back he's like our, our he's like our twelfth choice. You want right to read back. out those fucking stats again? <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean? You just have this complete inconsistency and you have yeah. this culture. You know, I understand like he wants to change the culture. Well, like and he kind of comes across as a little bit of a hard ass, but like that's you know, the only I feel like the only managers who really get to act like that and get something out of the team are managers who win stuff. Like Antonio Conte is a madman, but guess what? Yeah. He's a serial winner. He wins yeah. stuff everywhere yeah. he goes. His teams win. So the players can take it for a year or two because they know they're going to win something. And that's what yeah. every player wants to do. They want to win Mourinho something. is the same way. Pep is the same way. Yeah. Yeah, the super like blinders on, like tunnel vision managers, my way or the highway. Like as soon as you cross the line, you're dead to me. That's one thing that I don't understand. Like that kind of management does not work at a club like Arsenal because we don't have the funds to compete with, let's say, Pep at City. As soon as Pep doesn't like someone, they're out the door. He's got the next new shiny model, super committed. Doesn't matter what the transfer fee is or his wages because they can pay it. You look at Mourinho's past. He's a checkbook manager. Porto aside, early on in his career, he came to Chelsea and he's been a checkbook manager ever since then. Conte is the same exact way. I mean, this isn't to say that they're not good managers, by the way, but it is to say that they demand a certain type of player and they demand actually to the name certain players like in Antonio Conte's case. So Arteta's come in and he seems to be, this could get into a whole different issue that we can maybe discuss in the second half here in a little bit, but like... He seems to be just an awful man manager, which wasn't something that I anticipated. I thought he came into this job on the back of, at least his reputation was like, oh, he personally worked with Raheem Sterling, who showed up to Man City, raw, just uh, undeveloped talent, and he got the best out of him. And now Sterling's one of the best players in the league. Um, So you think, yeah, no, Arteta's got the people skills, but it's like you're either, I think Clive on the Arsenal Vision podcast put it this way. You were either one of Arteta's disciples or you were dead to him. There's no middle ground. And that's really, really odd to me that a manager who doesn't have unlimited funds to spend would kind of take that approach to management. Yeah, but but it, it take the funds out of the picture. It doesn't matter if you have all the money in the world to spend. The reality is he's also a manager who has zero experience or very little yep. experience. Yeah. Very little experience. And arguably and, the experience he does have is under a guy like Pep who can, who does have the funds to say, oh, you're not good enough. You're not going to, oh, my fullbacks aren't good enough after his first season in England. Let's spend 150 million pounds on three brand new ones, even if one of them's well, a racist. Yeah. Well, it's, he has a season and a half on, uh, of, you know, being a coach slash manager, you know, at a, at a, in a job, right? where it's kind of all on him to a certain extent. He's got a yeah. season and a half. You know, the, the all the managers that we just talked about, you know, like Jose Mourinho or Pep or, you know, even look at almost all the other, other managers that are in the league right now. All of them have 
10, 15, 20, 25 years of experience being a manager. Yeah. You know, like they've managed in different leagues at different kinds of clubs where you have a different kind of budget restrictions where you have, you know, just a different style of play to a certain extent. You know, it, it, he just doesn't, it's, it's just, it's mind boggling to me when you see him kind of acting and doing some of the things and, you know, we can kind of transition more into talking about maybe some of the more positive things about, you know, some of the players we brought in and hopefully how our team will change a little bit after the break, you know, but yeah. for me, Arteta's got to make a change or the club has to make a change. Cause right now he's not yep. doing the business for us. And a lot of these players aren't either. Yeah. Let's just transition into the transfer window closing and some of the business that we got done. already talked about some of the players the players that we brought in that we haven't talked about are Odegaard and um the right back that we signed on <laughs> deadline day Tamiyasu Takahiro um which seems to be a great player but you know Martin Odegaard it's a player that we saw last season who I think really did add something to this team it gave us more fluidity you know he kind of joined things up for us it definitely made us a lot more slick in midfield um, and hopefully he can, I mean, it sucks to, for, you know, him to be in that Man City game and uh, for us to play like that. Cause he's probably like, Jesus Christ, I just signed a yeah. deal. first game back, <laughs> <laughs> you know, so like, sorry about that, buddy. But we're hoping that he really kicks on. Cause I feel like he's a great player. Um, I think one thing about, uh, Martin Odegaard, and this isn't to be negative at all, but one thing I think I would say about him that I think for him to be like the player that we really need him to be. I think this is true of other players in the squad as well. I think we need more end product from him. Yeah. I think we need him to score more goals and I think we need him to get more assists. And I think that's something he can definitely start to do more. But for me, it's like, I think he needs to be, he needs to develop in a player into a player from midfield. Who's going to score 10 goals a season and get you, Mm. you know, 10 15 assists yeah you know, that's i think that's the kind of caliber player that he is and i mm-hmm. think he needs to be in a team week in week out and make it happen um yeah i really think so but ten yeah goals, i think ten it's a great is like is basically like one of the best attacking mids in the world but i i agree that he can he can get close to that if not to that I think if you're you're looking at Odegaard, you're expecting him with the talent, with the reputation he has. Not just that. He's he's proven it. Uh, he, he's had some very successful loan spells. He's always done well for the national team if he didn't get his chance at Madrid. But, dude, I love the player. I absolutely yeah. love him. Um, he's an Arsenal player through and through. He's the type of player that we've had a billion different types of or a billion different iterations of just over the years. Wenger would have loved Martin Odegaard. And it kind of gives out the rest of us Arsenal fans a bit of a soft spot because we were raised by Wenger, if we're being honest. You know what I mean? In a way. Um, I love it. It really does seem like shrewd business from the club. They wanted him at the outside of the window, even when it didn't look like Madrid wanted to sell. And they waited. They kept their powder dry and they waited. And if you step back and think about it, from Real Madrid, a captain of his national team, a just 
highly rated 22-year-old young attacking midfielder for 35, 30 to 35 million is honestly really, really good business. So if you have questions over some of the other business that the club has done either this summer or mainly before it, that's like that's just a solid deal all around. And I, for yeah, one, am, for sure. I'm super, super excited. Um, I think the next transfer that, like we said, happened literally just a few hours ago, um, Takahiro from Bologna, I think it was in Italy. He's a right back. Yeah. He's a little bit more defensively minded, a little bit bigger, a little bit more. He's especially, I looked up some stats. He wins over his uh, the course of his career in Bologna. He won like 95 plus percent of aerial duels. And I'm like, okay, that sounds nice. <laughs> that sounds like a far cry from Callum Chambers getting beat at the back post by a winger. Um, you know what I mean? Uh, in the air. So that's a good sign. Honestly, we can't speak too much of this guy. Personally, I've only watched YouTube highlights of him earlier today. <laughs> Uh, yeah. so I don't really know what I'm talking about, so I'm not going to profess to, but yeah, but you, but you know what I would say? Cause I, we watched the same kind of scouting videos. Yeah. But one of the things I would say about him that I think will be really, really helpful for this team is he's a very proactive defender. He's not, you know, he is, yeah, definitely. he's, he runs into midfield. He snaps the ball off of people. Mm. You know, he's a fantastic from all the stuff I've seen a one-on-one defender. Yeah. Um, and that kind of stuff is huge. You know, like I think if you look at the 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 defensive makeup or the um that I feel like Arteta is moving towards, you know, you, he wants to play a back four. So you you would think that that back four is Tierney, uh, Gabriel, Ben White, and then um Takahiro, right? Yeah. Ben White likes to carry the ball forward into yep. midfield, right? He likes to make those passes. He likes to make those runs. If you have a very, like, fast, snappy, one-on-one, like, likes to get it stuck in on a challenge, like, proper-ass right back, you know, he's going to cover some of that space when he runs in, yep. you know? But then... You know, I was t- I was texting you this earlier, but like Odegaard likes to come into that right side and kind of be in that half space, so that kind of helps offset maybe not having your right back move up the pitch for whoever's playing an attack. You know, yeah. So if Ben White moves into that space, and 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 you kind of, I think what it does is it kind of helps us fix our left sided bias a little bit if we have a right back who's super competent, who especially in their defending who can let Ben White kind of come out a little bit and, and run, make those, you know, 10, 20 yard runs that he does with the ball, you know, which I think is going to be helpful. Um, So hopefully all things considered, it really does help our balance in our team. Cause right now we're so predictable. Yeah, definitely. I, it's, it's really got a, a nice ring to it. What you just explained that balance between Ben White, liking to progress the ball, Martin Odegaard kind of drop it into that right half space, maybe between the striker and the winger, maybe even a little bit deeper, he will drop into midfield um, yeah. from time to time. It gives Ben White a passing option, and then you've got cover for Ben White if he does venture forward towards the center circle or whatever with the ball. So it, it, it sounds like it, it, it makes sense. And honestly, at this point, Arteta, I think this is one of the main points I wanted to sort of touch on real quick before we wrap up. Arteta's been backed this transfer window. And yeah, for time. a lot of fans, that's a really scary prospect. And for a lot of fans, maybe the more optimistic ones, that's a hopeful thing, if that makes sense. Um, there's a lot of drama surrounding the club right now. 
the way the media perceives us, the way that sort of more outside footballing world perceives us. Like you can say anything about Arsenal these days and it just gets accepted as fact because honestly, we're a bit of a shit show right now. Um, there's all sorts of drama coming out. <laughs> that there, there's a bust up between Arteta and Edu. You look at Edu and what has he actually been doing this whole summer? The the optics, the PR of him being seemingly on vacation for like half of the summer while Arsenal are trying desperately to shift players and he needs to be at London Colney doing his work. Like there, There's so many things going on behind the scenes that we could honestly devote an entire podcast to. But at the end of the day, Arteta's yeah. been backed to the tune of about 150 million euros this summer. He appears to be the club's guy for better, or for worse. That could change really quickly. I guarantee if we lose to Norwich um, uh, after the international break, I think he's gone. Um, if we lose that game, if we do not win it, even, yeah, I think it's think close. So. If even if we get a draw, I think it's close to like, uh, he might, he might be gone. So, so just how are you feeling? Like, I know that, I can probably answer that question for you in saying that like, I don't feel good about it, but just considering everything that Arsenal have been through these first three games, when you step back and look at Arteta's potential starting 11 and we could all list it off. We don't need to now, but like it's actually pretty solid and getting back players like Ben White, like Thomas party, like Alba and Lacazette adding in Takahiro at right back. Granite Shaka, honestly, being suspended for three games and Samuel Lakonga getting to start. That actually is probably a positive thing. You know what I mean? It's a blessing. It's yeah. a blessing, dude. Blessing you in take, disguise. You count your blessings where you can. Yeah, you got to take it where you can get them. But the team, that spine, at least of the team, sounds a lot better. And what I really like that you yeah. said about Takahiro, actually, just before we, we leave that topic altogether, was that he's a very proactive defender. Too often over the past few seasons, David Luiz was awful at this when a team's breaking at us or counterattacking at us or carrying the ball towards our third we yeah, would just always back off defender. yeah just back off and back yeah. off i feel like having a defender that loves to step up and either take the foul not nothing nothing crazy just you know free kick reset move on or win the ball back and just start a counterattack a defender like that not only is very useful but i feel like it also sets the tone for the rest of our defenders, Ben White's also a defender that likes to do that. Gabrielle, we see him be very proactive. Tierney is obviously is half a defender. He spends most of his time in the attacking third. So I feel like hopefully, fingers crossed, that that right back can kind of rub off on the rest of the back line of the rest of the team because at times it's the classic trope, but it seems to be true. Arsenal are this mentally fragile team. And I feel like when the going gets rough, we fold under pressure more often than not. That's That's more often the norm than not. I feel like we need some kind of dominant personalities in midfield. That's Thomas party all day. He does what he needs to do. He's a professional. He's fantastic. I'm really hoping this new right back edition can kind of sort of be that for the defense, him and Ben white. Cause Ben white hasn't really had much of a chance so far this season that we can defend on the front foot. Don't let teams run at you. Don't be too soft. Don't be soft at your back post Win your aerial duels when you should, and things will look a lot better. So, Sorry about that. Long-winded little rant I had there, but how are you feeling? <laughs> After this international break, Arteta will have his preferred 11 ready to go, maybe Takahiro aside, but because he will have just... He's not even coming to the club until after the international break. So how are you feeling? Going into Norwich, going into the... just uh, People have referred to these first three games as like preseason. Like, all right, season starts at Norwich. Like, 
I kind of get that impression. But how, how are you feeling about Arsenal's prospects with those players back? I mean, I definitely think we'll be a better team. We'll be closer to what I think we want to see. But I really, I honestly just do not have a lot of faith right now. I mean, I just, I, I feel for me yeah. personally, I just feel like Arteta is not doing it, man. I feel like yeah. he's not the one. That's valid. And yeah. I don't think it's impossible for him to turn things around and to get things pumping again. I think he kind of did that last season, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's obviously not like impossible, impossible, but I just look at some of this stuff and I'm like, if we have one or two injuries in the team, and shit goes haywire like it is right now. Like that's insanity. You know, I, I just, I just, it's just for me, it's like if you have one or two injuries and that happens to every team during the course of this season, every single team will have one or two players out who are key players. Right. Yeah. Very, very few players stay completely fit and play all the games all year you know, yeah. for every team. It just doesn't happen. Um, it's very rare. So I just look at the manner, the the way that we're losing games, even with chopped up teams and different players, we're still losing the same way. So yeah. for me, it is kind of, you know, I'm excited about the Norwich game because I want to see us play with the team that Arteta says, okay, this is my full strength team. And I want to see us take it to them. But I yeah. just don't have, a, I just don't have a lot of faith in, the style that he's playing. It's really boring to watch a lot of times. The only things that are like really flashy are like Sokka and Emil Smith Rowe, like doing really cool, hard stuff that we love. But yeah, yeah, I don't know. I don't feel too good about it to be a thousand percent honest. Yeah. I think that's totally valid. Um, Honestly, man, I feel like we can leave it there. Uh, We didn't get into the game too specifically because it was, it's too heartbreaking to do that at this point. We talked some meta points. Arteta's in the hot seat. I think that's definitely a conclusion we can draw here is Arteta is in the hot seat. And like I said earlier, the club should definitely already be looking at potential replacements. You know, they, they have this project, Project Youth. Um, it's it's exciting. It's potentially exciting. We've got some fantastic academy graduates. And the oldest player we've added this summer has been White at 23 years old. So yeah. potentially a lot of promise for the future ahead. But you can't just sack off a whole season. You can't just forget about what's going on now. You can't just throw away nine points. You know, um, that's why a lot of fans are frustrated. That's why you're not confident, you know, in, in what we're going to do after the international break, even if he has his preferred 11, it's because of the mentality that we've seen from our team, these opening three games. So it's a tough place to be, man. These podcasts have not been fun to do. We've been dreading them every day. Um, or every week rather that we have to do them. We like talked on the phone earlier today and I was like, dude, I don't want to do it. Like, I just, I want to talk about the game for seven minutes or I want to talk about the game for one second. Um, (laughs) but it's, it's where we're at and I'm, I'm a fan and I am maybe an optimistic personality outside of that. So I really am anxious to, to, for that Norwich game to roll around and to see our tennis starting 11 out there and, I tell you, if he doesn't get the win, even if it's a draw, if he doesn't get the win, I think, and and he starts with his preferred 11, I think he's got to go. So tough place to leave it. I mean, uh, it's a depressing podcast, but it's depressing to be a fan right now. (laughs) Yeah, that's just where we're at. I think you got to be realistic about it. We're in a bad place. Um, You know, I think because we play what? We play Norwich, Burnley, Burnley. 
Spurs. We play, Brighton, and then we play. Who is it? Wimbledon Palace. or something like that in the F- yeah. In we the play League Wimbledon. Cup? Yeah, we play Wimbledon as well. There, there's that, that's before there Spurs, well. I believe. Yeah. So yeah, it's before the Spurs game. So, but it's like for me. Nine yeah, to ten points I mean, it's minimum. It's a hard one. Nine Re- to ten real- points minimum from those games. Yeah. Those four games. Real realistically, we're just in a hard, we're in a hard place as a club, and it might get harder. And you just gotta roll with the punches. It sucks, and you you can be unhappy. And here's one thing I I wish I I wish there were a lot of people listening to this podcast because if there's one thing I feel like I could say to Arsenal fans in general is you can feel two things at once. You can simultaneously love Arsenal and want to back the manager to succeed because ultimately that means Arsenal succeeds. And you can also feel that things aren't right and and he needs to go and things need to be changed. You can feel both things at the same time. You know, you can have a thought and opinion, but then also understand the situation and support it, you know? And I feel like that's where I'm at and I wish more people specifically people who are online, which the majority of those people are just knobs and they're not even, yeah. you know, paying attention, but whatever. Yeah. No, Twitter to Arsenal. Twitter is a joke. Twitter in general is a joke. It's, it's a joke, but at the same time, and you could realize that you could realize it's not the real world or real life, but at the same time, it's also super addicting. Um, you know, better than anyone probably I've gotten, I've, I'm sucked in, I'm sucked into the Arsenal Twitter. I'm too deep now, baby. Dude, like three <laughs> times a day during transfer season, you're texting me you're like, dude, Arsenal bong hitter through 420 just tweeted that we're signing Ronaldo Mario Balotelli. <laughs> Oh, that would be a we... shit transfer. <laughs> yeah. No, that's um it's true. Twitter's a dark place. But yeah, I agree. I think it's it's totally fine for us to not even be balanced in our like feelings towards the club right now, but also in our analysis, you know, like yes, you can you can mention the caveats that uh, the club have faced and Arteta's faced and the players that were missing. But you could also be really pissed at the way in which we've lost these opening three games. You know, both can be true. You can have a little bit of sympathy for Arteta, but you can also be super pissed at him and be like, why the fuck did you play Kalasinac? That's a fucking joke. Like, it's a joke. He's a bloke. <laughs> He's, a, He's joke. a bloke. He's a joke. He's a bloke. Charlie Austin, QPR. Great interview. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so it's it's both things at the same time. It's... I don't want to watch Arsenal play again right now because I have been so burnt these just opening three games of the season, but I'm also super anxious and ready for Norwich to roll around. But we've got some time off until then to recoup. Hopefully the players do the same. A few of them are out on international duty. You know, fingers crossed everybody comes back COVID free because that's going to be, I feel like a pretty ongoing bit that we've got to deal with. Every club's going to have to deal with players missing. Um, you know, from week to week due to COVID, just a little positive test here, positive test there. Hopefully players can come back healthy. Hopefully, hopefully players can all come back fit. Um, and, you know, we'll, we'll really get to, I think, properly, properly assess Arteta um, in that Norwich game. It's, it's supposedly weaker opposition, even though they're technically a place above us in the table because they've only conceded eight goals instead of nine. Uh, <laughs> um I feel like that's just when we're going to get to say like, all right, Arteta, you got your boys back. Transfer windows over. You, you guys spent a lot of money. Let's, uh, 
let's let's get some points. Let's see some results. So let's leave it Seriously. there, man. It's it's dark days. It's so hard to do this podcast. It's so hard. I got so much respect for the the big boy content creators in the Arsenal world. The the Arse blogs, Andrew and James um, on the Arse cast, the Arsenal Vision boys for putting out so much content. You know, specifically if you do Patreon stuff with them about this, because I'm like, oh, how could you? How could you sit there and talk? I'll tell you how a fat paycheck. <laughs> Um, but, <laughs> but yeah, let's leave it there, man. Um, we'll talk to you guys. We're not gonna do anything over the, uh, the interlull here. So we'll talk to you guys after that Norwich game, fingers crossed for it and just fucking come on Arsenal, just win a game, do something good. Everybody needs it. We're all depressed. I'm just going to go watch highlights of the Arsenal Tottenham four, two under Emery and just remind myself of, I never thought I'd say this, but better times. Um, you got anything else, brother? Bye-bye. Later, guys.